Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You know what? This is what we get for starting a podcast. <laughs> like, who the fuck do we think we are? I'm Alex Higley. And I'm Lindsay Hunter. And, and I'm, I'm a writer, writer but... Welcome to I'm a Writer, but today we have Frances Battalamenti with us. Frances was raised in Queens, New York and suburban New Jersey, but she now lives in Portland, Oregon with her husband and son. Her essays, stories, and interviews can be found at The Believer Magazine, Long Reads, Volume 1, Brooklyn, Entropy, and elsewhere. Her debut novel, I Don't Blame You, was published in May 2019. Salad Days on Unsolicited Press, her second novel, is forthcoming this month, October 26th, so go order it immediately. Welcome, Francis. Hi. What are you going to read? So I'm going to read the opening um, portion of Salad Days. So yeah. Salad Days goes between Portland and New Jersey. So I'm reading a section that takes place in Portland. Awesome. Okay. I leaned my ratty forest green three speed on the porch and let myself into a small not very well-kept bungalow off Northeast Alberta Street. I headed into the kitchen, passing a pile of dirty dishes, coffee dregs in a pot, and a glass ashtray with a half-smoked cigarette stubbed out and perched in a groove. I grabbed the cigarette out of the ashtray and followed a trail of wet footprints through the hallway. Loud music radiated through the drafty old house. And between the piercing music and the lingering smell of fried garlic and nag champa incense and the events of the past few weeks, I had to lean on the counter because I felt dizzy. Anyone fucking here? I yelled. Is anyone home? I yelled. I headed towards the back of the house, hovering in the hallway. I took a few more steps and could hear running water coming from the bath. The old floorboards creaked. I peeked inside the bathroom and found Jess alone in the tub with a dark green clay mask encrusting her face. All I saw were these wide dark eyes staring back at me. The tub water ran fast and hard. Arches of Loaf's album, Icky Metal, was on super high volume, preventing easy verbal exchange between me and this person who I had met only a few months ago. 
who came from where I came from and who had become a crucial codependent part of a new life in a new city. I sat on the toilet and lit the half-smoked cigarette with a lighter that I found on the windowsill. I took a drag and handed the cigarette to Jess. We looked at each other. She took a drag and passed the cigarette back to me. I smoked and gazed out the window into the overgrown backyard, past the blackberry brambles and the huge weeds and the tall uncut grass towards a detached garage with a moss covered roof. A few months ago, my husband Paul and I had attended a group art show that Jess had put together in that garage. It was soon after we had uprooted from Jersey and replanted ourselves in the Pacific Northwest. The combination of that unfamiliar environment and the sense of cedar fencing and wet dirt and dense weed made me feel alive in a way that I had never felt before. Everything was so novel back then. The smells, the visuals, the people. It was still like a dream. It was like living in a dream. That evening, as I wandered around pretending to be interested in the artwork, Paul stood in a corner gripping a can of cheap beer and chatting with people we didn't know yet. There were about 10 shoddy paintings, a few framed pencil drawings, and a bunch of black and white photo prints nailed or tacked to the dusty garage rafters. I had never been to a backyard art show before, just the stark white galleries of Manhattan where you often feel scrutinized, uneducated, lesser than. I felt at ease and curious in Jess's garage, even though the work was so amateur. I was more interested in the people anyhow. We were all somewhere in our 20s, had transplanted ourselves to Portland and had creative aspirations of some kind. We all wanted to live somewhere that had affordable housing, maybe even a small batch of grass where you could grow food and pot. There was no talk of the stresses of living in Manhattan or Brooklyn, nothing about the rising cost of rent, no utterings about the existential boredom of mundane cubicle life. Most people who knew Jess, who Jess knew worked in coffee shops and restaurants and bars. And that is exactly why Paul and I left when we did. We didn't want the pressure to live a certain kind of life and pursue a certain type of career just in order to make ends meet. At first we thought it would be San Francisco or Seattle, but those cities had gotten too intense and expensive. So it ended up being Portland. It was that night in the moldy garage that made us feel like we had truly arrived. As if we had taken the best parts of what we left back in Milltown and transported them out to Oregon. Jess leaned back and closed her eyes. I remained on the toilet with my head in my hands. Dana came out of her bedroom wearing a black string bikini, her face also covered in splotchy green drying clay. She closed the bathroom door and slithered into the tub the bubbly water almost overflowing onto the floor. Jess turned off the running water and the small room finally quieted to a gentle hum. All that could be heard was the droning sounds of the music blasting from the living room and the splish flashes from the tub. Okay, I'll stop there. Francis, as, as you were reading, as I was reading this book over the past week, I was, uh, I was so just struck by, you know, these are places that you've actually lived in your life and whether or not the narrative has any connection to your life or not, I, I was impressed just the shape of, of this novel, how you, how you arrived there. I, I can sometimes struggle to find um, a narrative shape 
when I'm dealing with places that are very familiar to me. And I was just, I was just curious if you could talk a little about the process of uh, forming a narrative out of, you know, places that you've lived and have so much experience with. Yeah, I hear you. Um, yeah, I feel like it was a little bit clunky trying to find my way. I mean, the story is such like a, it's East Coast, West Coast, right? It's like right. Jersey, it's Portland. It's like, and and it couldn't, it couldn't be one or the other, you know, um, because those two places like are kind of this, like, I don't know, it's like this convergence feeling, right? Like, mm-hmm. like you couldn't have, I couldn't have one without the other, like just wouldn't make sense. Is that, is that, is that helpful at all? Yeah. Yeah. No. I, and, and I was curious, is that something that you arrived at while drafting or did you kind of know even before you sat down to work on salad days or whatever the title was as you were drafting that you that you needed both those places yeah so so absolutely i i knew like it really like the main narrative i feel like is the east coast like the jersey right like so it's like it started off with you know anna works at this independent music venue right in new jersey okay so this is based on me working at a club called Maxwell's in Hoboken, New Jersey. So, so that's like, I wanted to really like sort of like relive and depict that like sense of place, like that very specific place at that very specific time. But what was happening was like, as I was writing it, I kept going forward. Like it was like, it was really like also so much about me leaving that and moving to Portland, being in Portland and looking back on that time. Mm-hmm. okay like that's why like one it couldn't be one or the other because it was I needed that Portland perspective to look at the at the east coast jersey perspective got it yeah it's yeah. like I feel like when I left Florida I couldn't see it clearly until I was in Chicago and then I was like oh I kind of can write about that now mm-hmm. exactly you need like you can't you can't really like if I let's say I stayed in Jersey and like you know I don't think like, I just wouldn't have that same perspective. There's something about leaving your roots, right? Totally. Do you feel like you write a lot from your life? You know, like you fictionalize these, these very real things in your life. I do. I do. I do. Like I, I identify as like an auto fiction writer. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I know like that, that word is like a trigger, which is like triggering for a lot of people, but, um, but I, I, that's the closest, that's really, you know, like autobiographical fiction, right? Mm-hmm. You know, so. No, I think, I think, and when I was like, oh, okay, I think, cause I was trying to think now, what is that word a trigger? <laughs> it is, it's like, it's really off-putting. It's fun. It's like, I, yeah, like I love auto fiction. It's definitely like a genre that I am all about, but a lot of people are kind of like, maybe it sounds really pretentious. Like it's very, it's like French, you know, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like- I, feel like, I feel like recently with like all the Canals Guard books, people have been really turned off by those maybe just because of exposure. And I feel, yeah, I feel like maybe there's just been some, even some recent authors that have written stuff that's been called auto fiction. And I don't know. Yeah. I, I have, right. Yeah, it's not triggering for me at all. Yeah. And, and honestly, I think the great thing is a lot of times, depending on how much you know about the, 
the writer, uh, you know, there's no real reason for you to know that it's not like autofiction is going to dictate the shape of the paragraph, the way these sentences work, the relationship between anything that's going on within the text, you know, it's like the generative portion may be, you know, directly from the person's life, but that doesn't really speak to the nature the of the words on the page. Yeah. Right. So it's like, to me, it's like, I, I it's such a broad um, genre that it's like, yeah, it's awesome. Cool. Totally. totally. I think people assume everything is autofiction anyway. Like, right. you know, even I like, am reading, you know, I read a book and I go look at the acknowledgements and I'm like, okay, so yeah, she is married. Okay. Exactly. That guy. <laughs> totally. And it's so, it's so unfair and so silly, but you know, you're always trying to put like a face, you know, to everything. And, um, you know, I think that's where, where that comes from. I agree. I agree. And it's like, I, I come from like, like when I started writing, writing, like, like seriously writing, I was immersed in memoir. Like mm-hmm. that was like my, like, you know, 10 years ago was like the thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so I was writing a lot of like personal essay and like my first book I wrote originally as a memoir. Mm. And then I was like, actually like, I could make the shit way radder if I, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, totally. So, so, you know, that's where that comes from, but it's very, like, my stuff is very, like, is definitely taken from my own experience, but like, for sure, like tweaked, you know? Yeah. It, you have more freedom, you know, kind of with autofiction, you know, like you can sort of take where the very real emotion and experience lives and then sort of hone it into another thing. Totally. And you don't, you cannot do that with memoir. Like, I don't, I don't feel like you can do that with memoir. Right. I really don't. I mean, I think you can make, you can make things really literary and beautiful and, but you can't like fuck with it that much. Mm. Right. I mean, I would be afraid to (laughs) call it a memoir. I know, but you know, this argument's been going on for years, right? It's so true. Probably my favorite character in the novel, Francis was, was Dana. I just love I love Dana's like clarity. Uh, there's so many moments where it's like, she just has such clarity on the situation and just sees there's the moment, you know, where she says, Oh, I bet you'll leave Paul and just like yeah. cuts. And then later she has, I mean, there's kind of a similar moment that she has was uh, later in the book as well. And it's just like, I was wondering, did the way that uh, that revelation in the book kind of works as a, it's a really wonderful transition. And I feel like kind of a motor for the second half of, of, of what's to come, even though the narrative is, you know, not told chronologically, did, did you have Dana playing such an, obviously she's not like, you know, page wise, she's probably not even close to being the biggest character in the book, but did you, did you know she would serve such an important function early on? You know, I, I did. And I didn't right? like, I think what I think what Dana really represents, even the name is so like Jersey, right? Like, mm. like, if you know any Danas, they probably come from New Jersey. So it's like, <laughs> it like, it. I think I think that character just represents like the honesty and the like directness of like, of, of the Jersey. And like, you're right, like that statement, like, you're gonna leave Paul for this guy is like it's profound you know it's like and that and there's and there and she you know that character knows the truth like you know jersey Mm -hmm. dana knows like what's up 
definitely. Right. You know Jersey yeah. Dana. Exactly. We all know Jersey Dana. <laughs> she will fuck you up, okay? Don't even mess with Jersey Dana. Totally French manicure, like the whole <laughs> <laughs> that's all you need to know. <laughs> was what was it like putting out because your first book came out in 2019 and then this is coming out this month? What kind of uh mind fuck is it putting out? two books so close together like was that hard on you was it or was it exciting like how does that feel I don't know you guys like I'm just at this point where I'm like you start writing but like usually cranking out books like I I I I, salad days was let me think I think salad days was written by the time I don't blame you my first novel came out Mm. you know, like once I started, like once I figured out how to write a book, I was like, oh, like I'm just going to keep writing these books, you know? Um, so it sounds like it's, it is, it's like two and a half years apart. I think it's like two and a half years apart. Um, but like, you know, um, yeah, I think it, it feels just about right. I, w- I will say I am having a really hard time writing the third book because of this pandemic, but that's a whole other podcast. Than it's oh, God. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's that's our theme. That's our, our right? long running theme. How are that's we going to get this done? No, I know. It's like it, and some people are like pumping shit out like, you know, um, I'm just not I'm in a weird place with that personally, but but you know I'm I'm com- I'm committed. You took it, to answer your question, I think it it I think those two books like needed to get they're like the books that needed to get written. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So when you say as soon as I figured out how to write a book, what what do you mean by that? What pro what tell us what that process is for you? Like what is because it's different for everyone I know. Um, so I want to hear what writing a book is for you. You know, I think like the first thing that comes to my mind and I, I work with writers, I, I teach writing and I, and I'm a counselor for writers. So, you know, I always tell people like so much of it is like, it's about like how you feel about yourself. And it's just, it's just a conf. It's like really comes down to confidence in yourself and like the whole, you know, inner critic thing. So I think once I like, was able to quiet that inner critic. I was like, oh, like I can, I can totally do this and it's all good. It's cool. Um, How did you quiet that inner critic? Okay. Tell us. (laughs) (laughs) Guys, it's a, it's a lot, like it's a lot of fucking hard, like work. You know, we could talk about, you know, like for sure, they're like intense therapy for Mm. sure. Like all your little practices, whatever you do, you know, for me, it's yoga, it's meditation, it's walking like a motherfucker, you know, like <laughs> just Forrest Gump style walking, you know? <laughs> <laughs> just keep walking it off, you know, it's, it's, I don't know, I've heard so many writers talk about it. I remember, do you guys know who Jonathan Ames is? Yeah. Sure. Right. We all know who John, like, you know, I remember like hearing him on an interview talking about the inner critic and like that dude's written a bunch of books. He's, he's worked on like TV and like film or whatever. Mm-hmm. And like, he still, I remember him talking about like still like the inner critic is haunting him, you know? Um, so I think it, I think it will always continue. And I think that is a motivator in a lot of ways, you know? Uh, but you just got to keep it kind of quiet. And I think we all have, you know, just different like tools, right? 
like what else what else? i mean like i i don't know you know i have to have like a warm beverage like a baby yes <laughs> <laughs> this is the good shit here right <laughs> like a baby bottle like i have to I <laughs> like i have to have like a warm hot drink like it's it's ritual too right mm-hmm. sure is it is it always the same warm hot drink or are you like are you doing like what is it called glog is that a, is that a real drink glog <laughs> sure it's like a holiday drink right oh glog right no okay what are my hot drinks like for sure like i'm a milky like a milky black tea like a good black tea with like milk and like a london fog like a london fog like um i cannot really handle coffee anymore Hmm. i know it's terrible uh, a little bit, but li- or like that turmeric shit. What is that? Golden milk. Yeah, golden milk. <laughs> yes, golden milk. Golden milk. That's like that's like mother's milk. You know, it's like a baby. Mm-hmm. I'm so um, yeah, like whatever I can kind of like get my hands on it. Really has, and, and then like how much caffeine have I had? You know, like that kind of thing. It's like neurotic stuff, right? I know. It's it's you know. I used to think to myself that I couldn't write unless I had. Well, I don't have the right kind of desk. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Totally. I've had offices before. Like I've like, I've rented places, you know, studios, like, and then I don't go there. You know, we are like, we're crazy people, right? Definitely. <laughs> yeah. So- but it does, it does get to the point where you're just like, I, I'm going to move my fingers across the keyboard and I don't care there will be something on the page. I am so sick of myself. <laughs> yes, you have to, or else it hurts, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, like, I, and I think that's where it is with me and my book, like in writing books is like, if I'm not working now, if I'm not working on a book, like I just feel like, what's the point? Mm-hmm. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like once I started writing books, I was like, that's it. It's like, it's like being in the mafia. Like there's no way out. <laughs> <laughs> Francis, tell us a little bit more about your counseling. Uh, what, I mean, so are you, are you specifically dealing with writers? Are you dealing with all sorts of artists? What is, what does that look like for you in your life? So, so I trained to be a counselor probably about 10 years ago. My, my, my son was little and I was like, I gotta get out of the house. So I went to grad school. I always wanted to do it. Um, and I started out working with like just the worried well, like the general population of of like people, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I was just it fell flat for me. You know, I I was the kind of pr- like person that's like, well, if you don't like, then just break up. Like, what's the problem? <laughs> you know, like, so so that was just not working. So after like years of like okay, what am I going to do? Like, you know, what am I making of my life? Yes, I write, but like something's missing. I realized that I wanted to work specifically with writers. So um, my work with people is like kind of, it's like a hybrid. It's like part counseling, like what's going on? Like, how are things going with your mom? Like, you know, Um, And then it's like half like, all right, let's get to the nitty gritty of what you're working on and like what's getting in your way. Right. Like, why are you not like working on that essay? Like what? Okay, let's read it. Like, let's edit it. 
Um, so it's kind of, I, I guess it's, it's really like a mentorship in a way, you know? That's um, awesome. That, I've yeah. never heard of, I mean, it sounds like you're doing so much for these people. I mean, it's like to all the way from, uh, you know, things going on in their actual lives to editing work. That's kind of amazing. Yeah. But like, isn't that like, yeah. Like, don't we all want that right. From somebody? <laughs> totally. I just don't think I've ever had it in any, you know, I've had it part, you know, maybe 75% of that, like in friends, but I've never had it in a, in a setting where it was more, you know, professionalized. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. It's kind of like rent a friend, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. It's like rent. Yeah. Like rent. it's, it is, it's unique. It's definitely unique. And, and it, I feel like with each client, it's all really different, you know, with some folks, it's like a lot about their lives and like, you know, just getting them to kind of baseline. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and getting them to a place that they can actually write. And then with more like higher functioning people, it's like, let's just get into the manuscript. And like, that's where the editing part comes in. Right. Um, so anyway, yeah, it's really rad. I love it. Yeah. That's amazing. I love yeah. that. I think something like that would be, I'm, I'm surprised that I haven't heard of something like that before. Cause I feel like a lot of people are actually kind of looking for more of that hybrid. I think, you know, whether it's like, I don't know, deeper, like deeper on in, your you know time with the manuscript like when you're on submission or i don't know yeah. any anything i feel like you know if not everyone not everyone is able to really lean on friends in that way not everyone maybe you know people who are newer to to writing don't really have community or whatever yet so yeah i think that that's that's really cool totally and i wouldn't be able to do what i do if i have if i hadn't gone through the process myself mm. Right. So like, I know what rejection is like, like you got, you could look at my Excel chart of like submissions, like, totally, I know, yeah. right. Like I know what like the agent landscape looks, looks like. I know, you know, I've been there, right. Mm -hmm. I've been to the bottom of all of that. So I can, I can, I, it's like a midwife, you know, it's like a liter. it's kind of like a midwife kind of relationship, you know, awesome. God, a literary midwife. A literary That's awesome. Midwife. Okay. All right. I love that. <laughs> yeah. It's fun. It's really fun. And it doesn't work for some people and it really works for other people. Right. Yeah. I feel like, you know, you can, I mean, this is the whole reason that Alex and I started this podcast because you're sort of like in this lonely space, wondering if you are just like a very unique loser or if <laughs> other people are going through these you know, these hard things that, that you're going through or, or failing or are hopeful about certain things. And, and it just, it's immensely helpful to hear, to hear from someone who's, who's also in the trenches and has been in the trenches a little longer and, you know, is, is offering to help. That's so great. Right. And then it's like, I don't have the, like, you know, we all know what it's like to be sort of in competition to like, mm -hmm. but this, this situation also like eliminates that ego or like that part where there's that like you get you know what I'm talking about like it's that envy like mm -hmm. you know like with writer friends sometimes it can get a little bit like a little gnarly like that yeah of course mm -hmm. yes absolutely it's we I think we call it our chip on our shoulder or our our bag of chips on our shoulder <laughs> huge bag huge fucking bag 
right you know like it's a concept like the it's the ego you know it's like we it's it's natural to feel that way for sure but it's it's a little bit distracting sometimes you know yeah you can kind of get mired in like well someone else's success means that I don't get success there's no room for me anymore um or they're taking you know like they took a whole turkey leg and all I have is this little I don't know. What's the part? What's another part of the turkey? People eat. I'm a vegetarian. Um, the other part, the bad part. You know, the other part that no one wants, the giblets. Although some people probably like that too. So I'm sorry. Yeah, I don't know. Lovers. <laughs> but yeah, it, can, it really can feel that way. Exactly. Totally. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's just what we deal with. It's kind of part of being a writer, you know, to just be checking that, right? Just to be checking yes. that all the time. Tell us about uh, working with unsolicited uh, press because this is both books are on unsolicited, right? Yep. Okay. Awesome. Tell us a little bit about how you came to be working with them and what that process has been like. Totally. Totally. So my first book, like I mentioned, um, it started off as a memoir and I like shopped it around like the whole deal, right? Like you know, it had been engaging with agents, um, you know, going to like the literary, um, you know, workshops and meeting the editors and the agents and all the things. And there was definitely like some interest in it. And then, and then it just never found a home, right? Like, mm-hmm. hey, that's the other thing that writers, it's, it's hard for writers to understand. Like when you write a book, it does not mean that it's immediately going to get published. Like, you know, like, right, right. So I think we all kind of have that beginner's mind of like, what? Like you write a book and then, and then you find a publisher. I mean, Uh, I still, (laughs) I still trick myself into thinking that way. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Maybe that's just like, uh, like just sort of a a coping mechanism, right. Or something um, that we believe that because I think most people, most writers that I talk to also believe it. But anyway, I believed it. And then I realized that that's not really true. Um, And it was a struggle. And I went through all the things that you go through when you're trying to get a book published. Um, And then it was random. I think I had probably already written the second book. And I, I just like one day, like the email pops up, right? Like it's that email, like out of, like I had it, I put the book back in the drawer and I was just like, I'm working on the next one. Um, And the email came and it was like, I just came across your manuscript, you know, I'm interested in publishing it. And that was unsolicited press. Um, Whoa. Yeah, it was just like, I think it was a year late. Like, I think it was like a year after I had put it in the drawer. Are you saying unsolicited solicited you? Unsolicited solicited. <laughs> they said I I but I yeah I submitted I had submitted to them like forever like you like, solicited them. I solicited unsolicited. Oh god, <laughs> that's amazing. Um and then anyway, so they email so that yeah, and they just yeah, and then it's just they're chill, like they're so like you know, it's like do what you want, like we got you, like cool you want to do that um as a matter of fact I had the biggest drama like it's not the biggest drama but I had a a, I had a book like a book nervous breakdown um over salad days probably like like a couple months ago Mm -hmm. oh why 
I'll tell you. So um, the I used the name. How do I explain this? Um, so in in Salad Days, the name of the independent mu- music venue that Anna works at is called Milltown Tavern. Okay. Mm-hmm. That was not the name that I had originally used. And somebody came across this other name that I used and got really upset by it. Anyway, without getting into like the entire narrative of it. But um, it was um, it was really intense for me. And they were cool with just change. Like they they had already printed like a bunch of books and they threw them out and reprinted my book. That's wow. amazing. So they're they're crazy supportive and um, yeah, just like chill, you know, like no, like no pressure, no stress. Like we just want you to be happy. That's so cool. That's, yeah, that's cool. I feel like we've heard so many horror stories um, about you know smaller presses taking advantage of authors who don't know any different because it's a first or a second book and it's so great to add another uh name to the list of ones that aren't going to fuck you over so that's very cool yes yeah just good just good like good solid we just want you to be supported we just want you to be happy um yeah a lot of creative freedom like the both the book covers like my husband designed oh cool. Um, oh yeah we were just admiring how pretty salad days is thank you thank you it's so polished and just really really pretty thank you yeah that means that that's really important to me um the look and feel of my books um kind of like a bit of a design snob so um they let me do you know like they didn't have to like you know let me design my own book cover you know what I mean like yeah right so I'd be be the kind of person that would be like really bummed if like my book cover was like corny or something you know what I mean yes Mm -hmm. (laughs) like a salad on the like you know (laughs) (laughs) like a like a a calendar with a salad on each little square exactly salad days that would just be miserable (laughs) so yeah, but there no, that's been rad. I have to be honest. It listen, it let like it's it's indie, right? Like we all know what that's about. You know, it's like it's not the big it's not a big publisher and all that, but I get to write books, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Oh man, the indie presses are the best. That's like where all the exciting new voices are and totally. Hell yeah. Totally. Right. And we make all the big money. <laughs> oh yeah. That's where all the money is and all that's the fame. All the money is right. So totally. What is your third book about? So this one is like, it's about, it's a lot about mothering and parenting and the struggles of being, you know, like in a, you know, heterosexual like male female male and female like you know um we're not a we're not a white family we're we're a biracial family Mm -hmm. so I can't I can't say that but you know just this sort of like we're we're very privileged in so many ways um so it's based on my experience you know like I was able to stay home and write my books for a long time. Mm -hmm. 
I was able to like wake up, get my child to school, um, you know, make him a big breakfast, go to, you know, then go to yoga, like drink that fancy like tea and coffee, you know? Um, so it's a lot about privilege and, and, and really like, you know, there's still a lot of struggle. Um, so it's kind of like, yeah, it's like, it's a lot of vignettes of like family life. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so yeah, hope that's helpful. It's, it's, it's early. Like I don't, I don't have a lot, a lot written. Um, and I don't have a full arc because of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Right? All right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that's been really hard about the pandemic is all my favorite coffee shops are closed. Like you can't go sit in there. Yep. Serious, really hard for me. Yep. yep. No, I can, I totally understand that. I mean, getting out of the house and being able to, you know, cause sometimes the house can, can feel oppressive, right? Like you need to get out in order to think. Um, so I hear you. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to, I, I know that I'm going to, um, do it and I'm committed to it. And I also have a book coming out and there's a lot that goes with that. Right. Yeah. So much, so much, so much like psychological, emotional, and like actual labor goes into it. It's true. It's Mm -hmm. really true. It's, you know, and it's like, I'm not doing, you know, like the events are sort of off the table at least here, you know, like there's definitely like people I think are doing events, but it's a bit like altered, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not really planning anything crazy like that. Um, but still there's a lot that goes with it. Different little yes. writing, different little writing projects and interviews and little bits and bobs. Right. Yep. It adds up. It totally adds up like this, this like being on our little <laughs> show, this, right which i was so excited about I'm yay. Awesome. yay yeah so we me, were me excited samantha too. irby right me and samantha irby that's right yes go. we are all on the same level as sam all of us right? every single one of us 100 <laughs> on this recording are on her level <laughs> say that. i'm sure she would say that we're all on the same level <laughs> she would say bitch of course you are shut the fuck up well francis thank you so much this has been such a pleasure i really appreciate it you too really yeah thanks for coming on the book is Salad Days. Salad Days. It is on Unsolicited Press. It comes out on October 26th. So go get a copy, everyone. Oh, that was so fun. That was great. It was fun to talk with Francis. Yeah. Um, loved it. So inspiring. Write your books. Write your books. Just write your books, everyone. And Francis, you write your third book. Yes, do it. All right. So, okay. Um, I just wanted everyone to know that Alex, completely inspired by me and all of my wins, is getting a Peloton. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what the fuck is she going to say? <laughs> oh, God. All of my hard work over the past 18 months, just grinding on my Peloton crying and thinking sometimes laughing and dancing as i was today 
has inspired Alex and his wife to get a Peloton. <laughs> I mean, really, this whole relationship has come down to me <laughs> texting you at like 930 and you're like, it's 930. I can't text you until the morning. And no. then I get a text at like 530 while I'm standing in the fucking state, like walk in freezer today. It's like, here's my, here's my sign up code. <laughs> the reason I couldn't text you last night is because I had to, we had to pause the movie we were watching so I could respond to your text. Oh Jesus. You are serious then, about movies. You, you, you pause the movie. We Oh yeah. What I, listen, it was a scary oh, movie. Oh my God. Oh, okay. Oh. And I didn't want to miss anything. And then then it was just like hard. I couldn't find my stupid referral code <laughs> until I opened it in a new browser and then I could find it. So that was what happened this morning when my children woke me up at five something. I was like bleary eyed. I'm like, this is text. <laughs> I'm like, oh yeah, good. The goods are here. It's all come to this. And I can't wait for you to cry on the Peloton mm-hmm. for the first time. I cr- listen, <laughs> I, I'm an easy cry. So this is no big deal. Uh, wait, yeah. You are. I didn't know that about you. Yeah, I am. You uh, are? Oh, yeah, 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 for sure. When's the last oh. time you cried? I don't know. Last time a commercial was on, like <laughs> upstairs. There was a commercial. Let me, let me, have you seen the one? Okay. Girl gets on the bus. She's, or no. Okay. Have to get the genders correct. Oh my God. Guy gets on the bus. Okay. Blind. This is a kid. All right. Already crying. First day of school. He's trying to find a seat doing a great job, sits down next to this girl. And she goes, Oh, you sit next to me. I'm whoever the fuck I tears. Just like, like, I'm like, Oh God, it's it's, yeah. Stupid shit. Like whatever. Yeah. Sit down next to me. I'm whoever the fuck. (laughs) (laughs) Oh God. Um, I, Um, Ben doesn't allow us to watch television that has commercials in it. Ben is smart. He goes, Jesus Christ. (laughs) <laughs> what are you saying over there? That's fucking brutal. <laughs> Our house? No, watching a TV show with commercials. Oh, he said watching a TV show He's with right. commercials sounds brutal. He said you're He's right. right. He's right. He's right. Wheel of Fortune or something. Yeah, he wants to know if you're watching Wheel of Fortune. <laughs> Listen, I live in the suburbs. <laughs> he this said he lives like... in the suburbs. Shut up. <laughs> well, we watch all the dumb shit. <laughs> he said that's watching shows with commercials is a gateway to angry dad. <laughs> Oh, there's no gateway needed. Are you kidding me? I, I live in that no space. <laughs> oh my God. Oh, man. Yeah, we have to, if we're watching like sports, we have to mute the commercials. Yeah, um, because that, that was a tradition passed down from his grandmother. And then it's a great move. And everything we watch, we can't watch it until it's on a platform that has no commercials. And you know what? It's really changed my life. I think it's awesome. That's, that's cool. I did. Like we're too, we're too old for this. Okay. Like life's too short. I pay for the YouTube without commercials mm-hmm. and that's a game changer. I love it. Um, but everything else. We did that too. When our kids were like way into blippy. Mm-hmm. blippy oh my God. Where are you at? Blippy is fucked. I didn't realize it's just like, he's just like running around the playground. Like I, I went through so many emotions like I hated him and I, I, okay, actually, no, the first time I ever saw him, I felt sorry for him. Cause I was like, Me too. Oh God, he's trying to have this YouTube career. What is what happened to him? Who hurt him? And then I hated him. And then, mm-hmm. um, like spring happened, like we were coming out of a dark winter and like spring happened and we were watching like an Easter blippy or something. And I was like, okay, I like blippy now. The train, one is good. the train, the train blippy is a delight. 
Oh, I got to check um, that one out. Yeah, but we love to talk about how now he just mails it in. He's just like, oh, hey, look at that cloud. <laughs> He's like, there's one. That's right. There's one clip. I can't remember at the end. He's like, okay, kids, bye. Tell your parents if they like my stuff to press like on YouTube. And hey, remember, you're really special. I like you a lot. Don't talk to strangers. If you see a stranger say, stranger, stranger, danger. (laughs) 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 But really don't talk to strangers. Okay. (laughs) Bye-bye. It's so weird. Yeah, it's People in a creative pursuit okay yeah self-publishing on okay ben's really okay. is, i think ben should just pants a little bit okay i love how well just is. pants a little bit <laughs> there is good children's programming <laughs> bluey shits all over that he said bluey shits all over blippy okay. and you know it's true bluey but i have my i have my problems with bluey as well no oh. parent plays with their kid that much okay or has like that much awareness or is that awake exactly like i do my best but come on give me i need some i need some mommy time okay anyway um i forgot okay so you're getting a peloton and um you watch tv with commercials that's the gist of that okay and then the other thing i prepared (laughs) i wanted to ask your opinion okay lincoln michelle at the Lincoln yeah. tweeted, the older I get, the more I only remember and think about the brilliant but flawed books and never the mediocre but polished ones. How do you feel about that? I don't know. I'm a I'm a more of a rereader of hmm. the same books over and over. And I mean, if it's if not for the show, I would probably just continue doing that. Um yeah, because you're like you also do that with uh hockey games and skyfall. That's yeah, I like to just return to the same shit. Um yeah uh like a happy person um uh, i don't know i i guess i guess i tend to agree but at the same time i don't read mediocre books if i don't have to i will just i'll bail on a book after a page so has there ever been a situation where you've read a book and you're like this book is good and then when you're done reading it like a day goes by and you think back and you're like that book was all right I think I've had the opposite more often where I've thought something was not great or bad and then gone back to it and thought that I really enjoyed it or Mm. just, or just not known why the thing that most happen most often happens to me is I will not know why I liked it. And then I'll have to reread it to understand. Mm. There's a book called seven years by Peter Stom. And I read it like five times over a four year period, just because I was like, how does this work? It's just so. It, it, it's kind of flat, but at the same time, it's completely enthralling. Um, wow. Yeah. I mean, there's books like that. I don't know. What do you, what, how do you feel? Yeah. My immediately, my immediate reaction was like, yes, I totally agree because I, I think you and I differ a little bit in that. I really love messy books, books that feel like, like not bland, messy, but like messy, extreme, you know, or like if, if the book is just constructed of like beautiful images, even if the plot doesn't go somewhere Mm -hmm. or you can see the writer, like, I don't know. I, I think, so yeah, I think I would agree with that. I think the books I think about the most are books that 
ultimately failed maybe in their plot, mm. but it didn't matter to me. Yeah. Um, and I think that's because I really like, I think about moments more than I think about like overarching, overarching narratives. But, but then I, then I can think of examples where that's not true as well. I just thought it was an interesting perspective. Yeah. Are you that way with all art with all mediums? I mean, like, do you feel like you're the same way with movies and music and stuff? Oh yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I mean, we have like a big collection of folk art and that stuff's super messy and um, like idiosyncratic and, and totally its own thing, you know? Right. And not perfect. It's perfect in its own way. Like I, one of my favorite pieces we have is um, I think her name is Jennifer Harrison, honey. Is that right? Yeah. She, it's this painting of a trailer and she paints with a palette knife. She doesn't paint with brushes because she wants like, ultimately she wants the texture on the canvas she doesn't oh cool and that kind of gives the feeling that she's trying to to what's the last name these are awesome um yeah aren't they so beautiful yeah they're amazing um but yeah again i did not spend this this was back when her stuff was more more affordable for me (laughs) back when she was a garage fan (laughs) um anyway yeah i just i really had to think about that if someone's like not clearly doing something mm-hmm. like if they're not like up to something right away exactly I, i'm just not interested like i don't my my least favorite kind of book is and this you might have to cut is when you read the first paragraph and you're like it was this person's goal to write a book mm. like like i want to read things by people who are writers and whatever that means it is fine. Like I think of all the time about our Stan episode with, uh, Miriam with Miriam, like she is a writer mm-hmm. and I would never have picked that book up. It's like way outside normally what I would be drawn to, but like that book is completely engrossing. I mm-hmm. love it. Mm-hmm. And she is up to something right away. And I think that's like, that's it. It's like that you either are, or you aren't. And I, yeah, it's like yeah. it's like courage on the page. I know we we talk yeah. about that. We've talked about that with um Megan Phillips before. Hey Megan. Totally. Hey Megan. Like where's the fucking courage? Like where is this person taking a risk or taking a chance? Um right. that's what I want to see. Um Totally. But but there's so many people who love those kinds of books that are yeah. very polished oh, yeah. and Absolutely. very satisfactory and tell you exactly what you're supposed to feel when you, you know. Mhm. Yeah. So good for good for those rich people, those rich writers. <laughs> Buying up all Jennifer Harrison's recent stuff. Yeah, you're the ones who bought her out. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's it. That's it. Go enjoy TV without commercials. Oh, thank you. You Bye. go enjoy those commercials. Oh, I love them. Bye. Bye. I'm a writer, but is recorded by Alex Hickley and me, Lindsay Hunter, in our respective basements. Editing by Lindsay Hunter. Music by Max Loop. Yeah, yeah.